Lord, we ask you to bless this as we look at your word. You ask your Holy Spirit to guide and lead. Show us what you want us to see from this section of scripture. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah 14. And as usual in Jeremiah, there's a lot of negative prophecies about things happening to them in this, in this section. So starting at verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the dearth. Judah mourns, and the gates thereof languish. They are black to the ground, and the cry of Jerusalem is gone up. And their nobles have sent their little ones to the waters, and they came to the pits and found no water. They returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads, because the ground is chapped, and there is no rain in the earth. And the plowmen were ashamed, and they covered their heads. Yea, the hind also calved in the field and forsook it because there was no grass. The wild donkey did stand in the high places. They sniffed up the wind like dragons. Their eyes did fail because there was no grass. So we're going to look at this section real to start with. Uh, Jeremiah says, says, God's word came to him concerning the dearth, which means drought. All right, so this is a drought that, that is happening in Israel right now. It's not not like... Uh, the great drought that uh, Elijah called down for three years, but this has been a big drought and people are suffering. And you know, this is one of the things I, I see is we are in our country are complaining about droughts. And I look in the scriptures, how often did God use droughts to try to get people's attention? Of course, nowadays we just say, well, it's, it's uh, climate change that's causing the droughts and man's causing climate change. Well, man caused the problem, but it's not the problem they think it is. It's man's sin causing God to hold, withhold rain. And so we see this, and this dearth that he's talking about, it says, Judah mourns and the gates languish or are uh, in sorrow. There's sorrow going on. And so he says, they are black to the ground or sorrow all the way to the ground and the cry of Jerusalem is gone up. So people are all of a sudden starting to complain. Now, notice though, it's not a prayer. It's not a confession. It is a cry or a complaint to God. And how many times do we hear this from people? Why did God let such and such happen? I love it when atheists or agnostics say, why did God let this happen? I'm going, I thought you didn't believe in God. And it's, you know, all these people who don't want to follow God, don't want to obey God will ask, why did God let these things happen? Why blame God for something that you didn't want him to be involved with in the first place? And this is, you know, our schools have kicked out God. We can't pray. They don't, they don't allow the Ten Commandments. And yet when there's a shooting, people will go, where was God? Well, you kicked him out of school. That's where he was. And I know he's there. Don't get me wrong. But you, know, you kicked him out. And now you're complaining that he's not there. And this is the funny thing that people will do. Why did this happen? Why did my house burn down? Why did I get sick? Why did, so, why did grandma get sick? Why did so-and-so get sick? And they'll blame God for all these problems, and yet they don't want to submit to God in the midst of their problems. And here's the people of Jerusalem. They're complaining, God, why is this happening? And God would probably, if they were listening, say it's because of all the idols you're worshiping. You're not worshiping me. But they're not listening says, their nobles have sent their little ones to the waters. They came to the pits and found no water. 
they sent their children out to go get water, go to the wells, the pits, the, the cisterns, go out and bring back the buckets of water. And then, you know, this is kind of interesting because that used to be the job of the, of the young kids was to go out to the well, go out to the stream, you know, go down two miles to the stream and come back with the heavy pails of water for the family. And that was, and this is what it's referring to. They sent their little ones out, the young ones out to go get water. And it says they returned with their vessels empty. No water to be found. Now, this is a pretty good drought. If the cisterns are empty, the, the, the streams are empty, the wells are empty, this is a pretty good drought. This is affected. It's kind of like what we're facing here in Arizona and California and everything. There's, we get a little bit of rain, but never enough to refill everything that's been lost. And God brought judgment on the people and said, your wells are empty, your streams are empty, your cisterns, your, your collection, your water collecting places are empty. And this is a big deal for them. Uh, it says they were ashamed and confounded. So this is the idea of shame, uh, of not being doing what you're supposed to. And confounded is kind of an interesting definition of it because it's really insulted. They were insulted. They were not happy. They were ashamed of what, what they found. They No water. They're going to go thirsty. They're also... At this point, for the Jewish people, they're not able to bathe. They're not able to wash their clothes and their dishes, you know, because what little water they do get, they're going to drink. And for the Jewish people, this is a big deal because God said you are to wash your hands before you, uh, before you eat. That was part of what they were told to do. And he even was so specific, he said, wash your hands and let the water drip down your arms instead of to your tips. So he understood that you wanted the dirty water to leave your hands and not go off to the tips. So these are people that have been trained by God to do the right things. And it's amazing the things they obeyed God on and the things they disobeyed God on. They wouldn't worship God, but they still kept their humility, their, their, their cleanliness. And it says, and they covered their heads. And the idea of covering the head is with grief. Uh, they, were, they were in grief. Things weren't going the way they wanted it to be. Things weren't happening correctly. And some degree, because of who they were as Jewish people, they understood that this was God's judgment. Our country used to understand that things happening to it was judgment from God. Nowadays, we don't recognize that. And it's really sad that people aren't recognizing God's judgment. And here the, the Jewish people in Jerusalem are saying, okay, well, something's wrong. Maybe it's our disobedience to God, but they really weren't going to go fully into that. But they had enough of the knowledge of God to understand that this was probably judgment. You had the prophets like Jeremiah saying, this is punishment. And people weren't ready to repent. And so they're, they're sitting there, covered their head, because the ground was chap, which means dry and broken, shattered is what that word means. Um, for there was no rain on the earth. And I, when I think about this chapter, I think about how our ground looks a lot of times, especially after a rainfall. The, the mud all curls up and there's cracked earth all over the place. And you can tell that you had some water, but it's all dry. Uh, and it's funny sometimes when 
around here, when you go walking across uh, sandy areas especially, the rain causes the, the pits in the sand and you go, and you walk across the sand, it goes crunch, 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 uh, because of the way that it is dried up. And you know, for us in, in Arizona, probably very much like them, when we do get rain, the ground is so dry, it just washes straight out and doesn't really settle. Uh, we get these hard rains and it just fills the washes and runs right out to, to the lakes or whatever, wherever it ends up, but it doesn't get saved and doesn't hold up. And this is the type of thing they're talking about here. Um, and it says, the plowmen were ashamed and they covered their heads. Um, disconcerted was this what, what this ashamed means. The plowmen trying to plow their fields. Uh, this would take the picture of, if you remember if, from any of the pictures from the Dust Bowl days when the ground was so dry that even if they did plow it, it didn't, it didn't form anything. Uh, this is what he's saying. The plowmen were disconcerted. They, they couldn't plow the ground. It wouldn't hold the furrows. There was no place to, to plant. And now even if they do plant, it's not going to grow because there's no water. And so all of these things are going in. And it's, this is a picture of total disconcerting, ashamedness of, you know, what are we going to do? And, you know, I think in our country, as, as we're destroying farmlands around, around the place, California used to be the breadbasket of America, and now California won't give the farmers water, so all of those farmers are selling off their farms or trying to get by with what little rain California gets during the growing season. And it's turning into dust bowl out there. And, you know, this is something that is really bad. We have the power to irrigate those, but they won't give them the, the water to irrigate because it uses up too much water to produce food. Humans just need food, it's no big deal, but they, they also need water, so we have a problem. How do, you, how do you balance the two? We need water and we need food to be able to live, and yet they won't do what's needed. And we're seeing the same processes even here. In our state, we're seeing that you know, they have a big cutback on the water that we can take out of the Colorado River. And from what I've been reading, Arizona got the largest cut back out of all the states that draw water from the Colorado River, which means our farming could go, go south because there's no water to be, to be had. And this is a serious issue. And this is what Jerusalem was facing. Couldn't plow the fields, couldn't have water, there was no water falling. So this is a problem that they're facing. They don't have water, no water to wash, no water to drink, no water to, to grow crops. So they are in a very bad place. And this is where they're at with this. And this in verse uh, 5 says, Yea, the hind or the deer calve in the field and forsook it because there was no grass. In other words, it gave birth to its fawn and went off and ate what little grass it could find and say, well, the fawn is just going to die because there's not enough grass to feed the, the fawns. And this is something, this is part of the, the cycle of life out there. If there's not enough grass, then all the things that eat grass start to dwindle. And then when the things that eat grass start dwindling, then their prey start dwindling because there's not enough food for them. And so we see all of this cycle in coming along and causing great problems. 
says the wild donkeys stand, stood in the high places. They sniffed up the wind like dragons. Their eyes failed because there was no grass. So they're sniffing around trying to find water as well. And it's kind of amazing. If you've done any kind of study on animals, animals seem to be able to smell water. And they'll find any water that's nearby. And they'll find the grass and all the supply of water. And so he's pointing to the donkeys and says, these donkeys are sniffing the air and they cannot find grass either. So this is, this is giving us the picture of how bad this drought is that Jeremiah is talking about. All because of the disobedience of the people. Verse 7, O Lord, though our iniquities, iniquities testify against us, do you it for your name's sake? For our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you. O oh, the hope of Israel, the Savior thereof in time of trouble, why should you be as a stranger in the land and as a wayfaring man that turneth aside to tarry for a night? Why should you be as the man astonished, as a mighty man that cannot save, yet you, O Lord, are in the midst of us, and we are called by your name, leave us not. So here is Jeremiah's plea. He knows that the drought came from God because the people are disobedient. So this is his statement. Lord, our iniquities testify against us. Right now, that could be said about America. Our iniquities testify against us. And what's really bad is people are just getting worse. It's not like they're turning to repentance and they didn't do it in Jerusalem's day. In Jeremiah's day in Jerusalem, they weren't turning to God. And it says, and for you, you do it for your name's sake, for our backslidings are many, and we have sinned against you. This drought has come because of all of our iniquities and all of our backslidings. This is the message from God to the people. You're, basically, he's saying you're getting what you deserve in, in, in kind of a fanciful way. And you know this is the problem even in America. We're getting what the country deserves. Not, as a, not every single person, but as a whole, our country is walking in sin. They're walking away from God. They're worshiping other gods. And we are getting what is deserved. We have lost the blessings of God. And this country started out with great blessings from God. If you look at the Indian lore in history, this nation had terrible storms. Terrible earthquakes, terrible blizzards, terrible rainstorms, tsunamis. We started as a nation following God, and God mellowed the weather. Now that we're turning away from God, God is letting the weather come right back and saying, we're going to let this be your judgment. And yet people won't recognize it, partially because we have very short memories. Nobody remembers the history from 400 years ago. They barely remember the history from, from 30 or 40 years ago. And trying to remember something from 400 years, they're like, oh my goodness, no. Go back five or 600 years, you know, don't remember that at all. You know, and this is the problem that we face. And our politicians count on it. They count on short memories. Well, they won't remember what we did two years ago. It's voting time now. Well, all we gotta do is make sure that they're happy now. They've got their chicken in a pot and they're and their, and their money being given to them. Who cares what happened two years ago when everything was falling apart? We're going to make them happy now. But everybody in today's world saying, well, this is brand new. It's never happened before. And I'm getting so tired 
of hearing them. This has never happened before. Never and ever, ever has this ever happened again before. And they're always saying that. And it's like, says who? Have you opened a history book? Have you opened a, any, any history book, any diary from anybody to know that nothing new under the sun? And this is the problem that people have. And this is the problem that Jeremiah is facing. People, you're, this is all because you have sinned. And he could have said, look at Manasseh, look at uh, Saul, look at the, 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 the judges. You know, he could have gone right down the row and said, look at these individuals. Look at Ahab, look at, you know, Ammon. He could have, put, you know, run down the list of people that had all of this judgment against him. But he's understanding they have short memories, just like we do. We have short memories of what's going on. And it says, uh, the hope of Israel, the Savior thereof in time of trouble, why should you be a stranger in the land as a warefaring man that turns aside to tarry for a night? The hope of Israel, the Savior. He's really talking about God and Jesus, you know, our hope. Where is our hope? Now, the sad thing for, that I'm seeing for many Christians in America is our, many of their hope is not in God. Their hope is in the politics, in the, in the Republican Party, in the conservative leaders, whoever it might be. That is not where our hope is. Our hope is in God, and it has to be. Now, I'm not saying don't go out and vote, don't try to make things, you know, try to turn things around, but our hope is in God. And until we have a revival, there is no hope for this country. No matter who wins, no matter who's running the, the government, without a revival and turning to God, there is no hope for our country. And this is him saying, you know, why? And then he goes, and then he asks a very question, interesting, Oh, the hope of Israel, the Savior therefore in the time of trouble, why should you be a stranger in the land? What is he saying? God, why have you abandoned us? It kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? People saying all the time, God, why have you abandoned us? Why are you being a stranger? And uh, why are, and as a warefaring man that turns outside to tarry for a night, God, where, where, are you, where did you go sleep? Because you're not here in, you're not here in, in Judah. Where, where, where did you turn aside from? Where did you go camp out for the night? It's kind of a, Jeremiah is kind of making a complaint against God. God, where are you? And you know, this is the problem that we all have to face in some way. Even when we know that God is doing what needs to be done, it's hard sometimes to say, God, where are you? Why aren't you helping? You know, we're, we're seeing the righteous suffer as much as they're unrighteous. And that gets hard. It really does get hard. Now, this is where we have to really hold on to God and say, God, you are sovereign. You know what you're doing. You've got a good plan. And I'm not saying it's easy to accept that good plan sometimes. And I've told you many times, I'll say, God, I don't understand, but I trust that you said it's going to be for that something good will happen, so I trust. But there are times when I look around and go, God, where have you been for so long? Now, I understand because I read the scriptures and I know he has turned away from people because of the sin of the people. And this is hard when, because we've talked about this, the righteous suffer as well as the unrighteous when the country turns away from God.
And this is a problem. And sometimes the righteous suffer worse because the unrighteous turn against the, against the righteous and say, well, it's all your guys' fault. You're not praying hard enough. You're being judgmental. You're, you're trying to tell us what to do, whatever, whatever it might be. They turn against the righteous and say, it's all our fault. If you guys just didn't have these moral, ethical boundaries, we wouldn't have a problem. And this is an area that is going to be the case that we're looking at. And it says, why should, you, why should you as a man, astonished as a mighty man that cannot save, yet you, O Lord, are in the midst of us, and we are called by your name, leave us not. I like this. He's going, God, why should you be astonished? You know, and as a mighty man that cannot save, he's going, you're acting like a mighty man who can't save. Why? Because of the judgment he's allowing to fall. And this gets to be hard sometimes, and I hear it all the time from people. Well, can't God deliver these things? Can't he stop these things? Yes, he could if people would just repent. But until they repent, he will not stop. He will not stop the, the problems coming to people because the whole point of the problem is to get people to recognize that there's a God. And it is hard for those who are righteous saying, God, you know, I'm following you the best I can and yet I don't see you working. God's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for humble people that turn to him. And I'm glad because I'm not a perfect person. I'd be in trouble if he was looking for personal, looking for perfect people. We turn to him, we repent, and we walk with him as much as we can. And this is where he's saying, he goes, God, you're in the midst of us. We are called by your name. Yeah, first, the previous verse is saying, God, why, why are you uh, dwelling in other places and not living here? And then he, then he comes right back and said, God, you are in our midst. He has that same schizophrenic attitude that many Christians do. God, where were you? Oh, I know you're here, but God, where were you? And we need to be able to stay in the second part of this. God, you're in our midst. You are trying to accomplish something with these people. You're trying to accomplish something great in our nation. You are seeking people to humble themselves and turn to you. God is looking for people that are seeking him. And unfortunately, in our country, in, our, in the world, there's not a lot of people seeking God. And it's very interesting because even in Christian churches, there are so many people that aren't seeking God. They're allowing sin to be in their presence. Uh, they're allowing the world's way of thinking to, to come into their presence. You know, uh, if you're not a, under, don't know much about it, CRT, critical race theory, is becoming really rampant in the churches. And I have a big problem with the, with the CRT, and the biggest problem I have with it is it tells us to focus on race instead of not focus on race. And this is a sad thing. Everything is about race, and this is what, you know, if you're black, you were, you were in trouble. If you're Latin, you know, Latino, you're in trouble. If you're Chinese, you're in trouble. If you're white, you're privileged. It teaches us to pay attention to race. And I always think about Martin Luther King. He said he had a dream that his children one day would not be judged by the color of their skin. His goal and his thought was to get back to the Bible. One race. No, no races, don't look at skin color. I look at the person, not 
at who they, at their skin color or, or who they are. I look at the person. And this is my problem with everything that goes on. God is in our midst. He wants us to walk with him and see people. Racism is one of the greatest scourges upon our country right now. And not for the reasons that you know, the minorities say, but just because it splits people up instead of being one family. All right, well, you're this group, you're this group, you're this group, and this is the problem. And people are being promoted to positions just because of their race or their sex, not because of their skills. And now we're really going to have a problem because there's so many sexes out there, out there that how do I get all my sexes represented, especially when people are fluid and moving between them? Uh, and it was bad enough when it was just male and female and they had to hire you know, based on gender. Now that there's going to be you know, several dozens of genders, how are they going to be able to justify hires now? Uh, you have to hire so many people of each gen gender just to be, be able to handle it. All because our world is focusing on stupid things instead of looking at humanity. Now, even as I say this, people are, well, you're a white male, you're, pri you know, you're, you're privileged, so of course you're going to say that. No, I say it because that's what God says. God says this, isn't there? And we need to be able to look at people as part of one family. Verse 10. Thus saith the Lord unto his people, You have loved to wander, you have not refrained your feet. Therefore the Lord does not accept them. He will now remember their iniquity and visit their sins. Then says the Lord unto the, to me, Pray not for this people for their good. When they fast, I will not hear their cry. When they offer burnt offerings and obligations, oblations, I will not accept them, but I will consume them by the sword and by the famine and by pestilence. So God says these people love to wander. They love to go away from God. And this is interesting because this is the way many nations go right before their fall. They turn away from God. It's where our nation is. They're turning away from God. And God comes to the point where he tells Jeremiah, do not pray for good on these people. Do not ask for the blessing because he goes, God says, I am not going to do it. Oh, it's an amazing thing when God gets to the point where he says, no more. And when you put Jeremiah in the time frame, we watch, he's at some of the worst kings at the end of the time. And God says, don't pray for them to have good. Don't pray for their blessings. Because over and over again, Jeremiah is going to tell them, this is what God says. God says to bear under the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. Don't rebel. And the king will go right out and rebel. Uh, and over and over again, he'll tell them these things. And it says, and God says, when they fast, I will not hear their cry. Now, fasting was what was done to get God's attention. You're saying, God, I'm sacrificing my food so that you will pay attention, God. I want you to listen to me. And it says, uh, when they give their burnt offerings and their oblations, he goes, I will not accept them. Now, this is kind of strange. God says, when they fast, I'm not going to listen. When, they're, when they give the sacrifices, why? Because they weren't really doing it with the right heart attitude. They were saying, doing the right things, saying the right things, 
that had no heart attitude behind it. This is what I say so many times when we talk to somebody and say, how do you get saved? Well, you admit that you're a sinner, you confess that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and you ask him to come into your heart. Well, those are the right words, but they're not abracadabra, you're saved. It's you must believe what you're praying. God is saying, well, you're fasting, but you're not believing in the one that you're supposed to be fasting for. You're, you're offering sacrifices, but I'm just one of many gods that you're offering sacrifices, hoping that one of them will rescue you. And this is where God is at with this. And he goes, I will not listen. I will not accept them. He says, but I will consume or uh, put to an end by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. So this is by war, by, by famine, you know, no, no water, no crops, and by diseases. And I find it very interesting as I look at our world right now. How much famine is there? Even though we've got the technology to be able to grow all these crops, there's still a lot of people that are hungry. There's a lot of wars going on. And we're getting a lot of diseases that are causing death. And this is something that's very interesting is just what God says he's done in the past is what he's doing today. People are, design, are dying by war, disease, and hunger. Even here in America. And we're seeing diseases hit America. And it seems very interesting. You know, we had AIDS that was going to wipe out the world, which didn't, even though a lot of people got sick. And we've got COVID that was going to wipe out the world, even though it didn't. And, you know, I don't know what the next thing is. They're trying to make monkeypox this really big thing. So he says, don't pray for them. Verse 13 says, then said I... Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say unto them, You shall not see the sword, neither shall you see famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. Then the Lord said unto me, The prophets prophesied lies in my name. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them. Neither spoke I unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision and divination and a thing of naught and the deceit of their heart. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that prophesy in my name, I sent, sent them not, yet they say sword and sham, famine shall not be in this land. By sword and famine shall those prophets be consumed. And the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and the sword, and they shall have none to bury them, their wives, nor their sons, nor their daughters, for I will pour their wickedness upon them. So let's start with this right here. So Jeremiah is now giving another complaint to God. God, you know, all the other prophets are speaking in their ears saying there's not going to be a sword and famine. How much do we see that in our day? Now, in our day, we're not calling them prophets. What do we call them in our day? Experts. People who have all kinds of knowledge and saying, well, you know, this isn't going to happen. It, we're, we really don't have to worry about the economy falling. We really don't have to worry about this. We do have to worry about these things, and they point to things that are totally irrelevant, all because they have a whole slew of letters after the end of their name, and somebody says that they're an expert. Now, they wouldn't be calling themselves prophets, but they are false prophets. They're not speaking what God says. And this is... I deal with this a lot around around my where I'm at because we've got lots of people with all these degrees where I work. 
God says this is going to happen, they go, oh, no, it's not going to happen. God says if you have, you know, commit fornication and adultery, then there will be consequences. They go, oh, no, just, just, just do what feels good. As long as, you're, as long as you're meeting your needs, you're okay. Yeah, but there's lots of consequences with those needs. There's lots of problems with, the, with those things going on. And he says, these prophets say there's not going to be a sword, there's not going to be a famine. And says, I, and says to God, I will, give you, I will give you peace in this land, assured peace in this land. And then God says, these prophets prophesy lies. And this is the thing that we find out there. How many lies are given out in our world? How many lies are, are spoken by smart people following the ways of the world? And all you got to do is watch the news and you'll see line after line of experts coming up and telling us about how things aren't as bad as they seem to be in certain areas that we know are bad and telling us how good certain areas are that are bad. They're doing just what God says. They're calling good evil and evil good. And they're saying, well, I'm the expert. I've got 28 years of degrees behind my name. I'm the one that's been teaching people all this stupid stuff that they've been, that they're spouting off. You know, I'm telling you that there's no problems. And I, and I think sometimes, I go, where did you get your knowledge? Their imaginations are where they're getting this, just as God says. These, these guys are not speaking in my name. They speak to you false visions and divinations that come from not and the deceit of their heart. It comes from what they are dreaming up in their heart. And this is something that's very important. What do we hear in today's world? Well, you know, you need to take people's feelings into consideration and not make them feel bad by giving them rules. Well, I'm sorry, God gave us a whole bunch of rules. And those rules are designed for our benefit, not to hurt people. And yet we're told over and over, uh, don't, don't do rules. You know, your kids are going to be really good if you just don't give them rules. Talk to your kids. Find out how you're hurting their feelings so that you can stop. You know, I look at sports nowadays and our, our young teams that are out there don't keep score anymore when they play games because they don't want anybody to feel bad because they lost. I can tell you one thing, I'm sure the kids know the score. Uh, I talked to a team one time, they were coming back from the state championship and I asked them, and they goes, what's the score? Well, we don't keep score. So I asked them two questions. First I said, well, I'm sorry you lost. And then my second question was, how did you deserve to go to the state championship if you didn't keep score in the games? Made no sense. You're not keeping scores. There's no winners or losers. Yet you went, you, you went to the state championship. It didn't make any sense. But that is the thought processes that they have because we can't have these kids feel bad because they didn't win. We're not keeping score. And yet they were having a state championship. I'm going, this doesn't, this doesn't compute your statements. But this is what happens in a world without absolute truth. People can say two opposing statements and not have a problem with either one of them. You know, we went to the state champion because we're the best, but, you know, we don't keep score. All right, how did you know you were the best? <laughs> how did you deserve to go to the state champion? You had more players, you... You know, your parents had more money. How, I don't know what got you to the state championship if you weren't keeping score. And yet, this is the type of things that come out from people's mouths all the time. And then God said, 
Verse 15, Therefore thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that prophesy in my name, I sent them not. So the first thing is, God says, I did not send them. And he goes, And by the way, by the sword and the famine shall those prophets be consumed. And there's a kind of an indication that they would be consumed first. You know, they're saying no sword, no famine, and God says, okay, I'm going to let it hit them. They're going to be the example that it is coming. They're saying no, 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 and God says, yes, yes, yes. It's coming. Well, it wasn't even that they believed it, but they wanted the people to believe that they were speaking the truth. Verse 16, And the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and the sword, and they shall have none to bury them. So things were going to get so bad that the people were going to be losing their homes, leaving their homes and dying in the streets. Uh, and you know, we understand you know, in their day it's kind of hard to picture this, but apparently in Jerusalem people were renting they didn't own. But you know, in our day, how many people do not own things? And even if you do own it in the middle of a famine and drought, it's going to cost you everything you have to be able to buy what little there is to have. So even if you own things, you start selling the stuff off that you own to be able to buy what little there is to, to buy at exorbitant prices. Now we think this is so new. The world right now is saying, well, capitalism is all bad because they're gouging people when, when, the, when, when the supply dwindles. There's nothing new about that. Businessmen have been doing that forever. I've got eight customers all wanting my one item. I'm going to sell it to the highest bidder. You know, who's, who's going to give me the most money for this? Okay, it's yours. Oh, you, oh you, okay, it's yours. You know, it's not new. It's been there forever. It happens everywhere. Uh, we have it a little less because we actually have prices posted, but then they up the prices as they, as they need to. And he says they're going to leave their homes and there will be, no, there will be so much death that there'll be nobody to bury them. No family members, no, no wives, no sons, no daughters. Each, God says, I will pour out the wickedness upon them, the judgment for that wickedness. Nobody left to bury. And we've seen this happen in various times of war and everything where there's so much devastation that there's bodies everywhere. Now, we have not seen it where there's nobody to bury. Somebody eventually comes along and and picks them up and usually dumps them in a big pit and buries them in a pit. But even in the end times, God says at, at the end of the great battle, there'll be so many bodies that nobody will be there to bury them. It'll take them days and days to bury all the people that are died. And that's hard to imagine. Jerusalem losing that many people, saying there's nobody to bury them. All right, verse 17. Therefore you shall, you shall say this word unto them, let mine eyes run down with tears night and day, and let them not cease, for the virgin daughter of my people is broken with a great preach for a very grievous blow, with a very grievous blow. If I go forth into the field, then behold the slain with the sword, and if I enter the city, be, then behold them that are sick with famine. Yea, both the prophet and the priest go into the land, and they know not. Hast thou utterly rejected Judah? Has your soul loathed Zion? Why have you spin us and there is no healing for us? We look for peace and there is no good and for time of healing and behold trouble. 
We acknowledge, O Lord, our wickedness and our iniquities of our fathers, for we have sinned against you. Do not abhor us for your namesake. Do not disgrace the throne of your glory. Remember, break not your covenant with us. Are there any among the vanities of the Gentiles that can cause rain, or can the heavens give showers? Are not you he, O Lord, our God? Therefore, we will wait upon you, for you have made all these things. So here's the continuation. It goes, the Lord said to the, my, eye, you know, my eyes run with tears night and day, and let them not cease, for the virgin daughter of my people is broken with great breach and with a very grievous blow. Jeremiah is looking around and he's going, these are God's people. And he's weeping. And we've said, mentioned before, we're going to see this topic about Jeremiah weeping a lot. He, he's known as the weeping prophet because he always talks about weeping and crying for the people. Even though God said, don't, don't pray for this, I'm not going to listen to them, he still weeps. He sees the people that he loves, the nation that he loves, completely collapsing. It's kind of how I feel as I look at America and go, how far has America fallen? And, I, and there's times when I almost weep. I don't completely weep, but I just grieve at how far our nation has fallen and how quickly it has fallen. I never thought I would see the stuff that's happening in America happen. Number one, I never thought I'd see it happen, much less in such, such a short period of time. This is how Jeremiah is feeling about Judah. God, how can all this happen? And it's happening so fast. It's happening within my lifetime, God, that I'm watching the nation that you chose, your people that followed you, totally collapsing and being brought into judgment. And this is his prayer, you know, that they, that they are broken with a great breach, a grievous blow. It says, if I go into the field, then behold, the slain with the, the sword. So he says, I go out, out of the city, and I see people killed from battle. He goes, I come back into the city, and there I see people that are sick with famine. They're, getting, they're dying of hunger and sickness. And, you know, and says, both the prophet and the priest go about the land, for they know not. They go out and see all of this devastation. Out in the fields, people dead from battle. In the cities, people dead from hunger. You have, and then it says, have you utterly rejected Judah? Has your soul abhorred Zion? You know, he's being saying, God, how far is your attitude? Have you totally rejected your people? You know, first off, have you rejected, have you abhorred? Do they stink in your nostrils? And yes, the answer is yes, they do. And here he's saying there, he's going, we, you have smitten us, there is no healing for us. We look for peace and there is no good. For a time of healing, and behold, we find trouble. How many times do we seem to feel that way even in America? We see these little pockets where it looks like something's going to happen, and then it's taken over and pulled away. And you see another little bit of what seems like a revival, in it, and all of a sudden it gets collapsed. And this is what Jeremiah is saying. I look, and there's no healing for the people. And it says, verse 20, We acknowledge, O Lord, our wickedness and our iniquities of our fathers, for we have sinned against you. Now, this is very interesting. Jeremiah notices this. A handful of righteous might notice this. But as a people, they're not 
recognizing their righteousness, or at least not enough of them for God to turn his heart away from their destruction. And he's praying, do not abhor us for your name's sake. Do not disgrace the throne of your glory. Remember, break not your covenant with us. Jeremiah is remembering, God, you said we are your people. You said that your name would dwell in Jerusalem. Now, the one thing that Jeremiah is forgetting is those were conditional promises. God said, if you obey, if you worship me, if, you do, if you're following me, then will my name dwell in this temple and your name will stay there. David had an, had an unconditional, your, your seed will sit on the throne forever. Abraham had an unconditional, those who bless you will be blessed, those who curse you will be cursed. And even when Israel is not obeying God, God still blesses those who bless Israel and curses those who curse Israel. So these nations that come against Israel, even though God is using them for judgment, end up having a hard time because they have touched God's anointed, his precious, precious darling, even though God allowed it, and yet they will fall into judgment. Nebuchadnezzar came and captured them and was so brutal to them. And God says, because of how you mistreated them, now you will be mistreated. And he lost his kingdom. And this happened over and over again. God would use a nation to judge Israel. And then because they judged Israel, they would be judged themselves. You know, and it's kind of a really hard thing. And we look at what's going on in the world today. Most nations are turning against Israel including America. And there will be nothing but judgment coming our way. Not that, not that Israel is this great righteous nation, but they're God's precious people. And when we turn against them, God will turn against the rest of the nations. And this is a serious issue. And then he goes, are there any among the vanities of the Gentiles that can cause rain? So can anybody cause rain? And can... The heavens give showers. Are you not he, O Lord our God? Therefore we will wait upon you, for you have made all these things. So Jeremiah is reminding the people, is there any God out there? Is there any Gentile out there? Is there anybody that can bring rain? And even with all of our advanced scientific knowledge, we can't bring rain. Sometimes we get successful when we seed the clouds and stuff, but most of the time we don't get the rain that we try to, try to get. We still have not been able to bring rain on demand or cause rain to stop on demand. And we're not in control of the weather. We have no control over the weather as much as we would like to. Our weathermen are getting better at predicting weather than they used to be, but they still not can say, we're gonna bring, we're gonna bring you rain. We can tell you kind of when it's gonna come, but they can't say, well, we haven't had rain for so long that we're going to bring rain. That's not within our power. We can seed the clouds and, and cause rain sometimes a little bit, but we don't have a consistency. We have no ability to make things happen in the weather world. We can't stop an earthquake. We can't stop a tsunami. We can't stop a volcano. We can't stop rain from pouring down and causing floods. We can't cause rain to come and, and stop a famine and drought. And this is what Jeremiah is saying. There's nobody other than you, God, that can do this. And his com complaint is, God, we need it. 
God, we're confessing our sins, or at least Jeremiah saying, I'm confessing our sins. <laughs> and maybe a small group of his followers are confessing their sin, but not enough for God to change their mind. And this is what we need in our world. We need to pray for a massive revival in this country and the world to, to be able to see God bring back blessings. Because without a revival, we will not have leaders that are following God. And if we don't have leaders following God, we will not be led the right direction. And we as Christians need to be very careful when we're voting. Are we voting for people that are godly people? Now, I understand that's very hard when you're looking at the politicians because very few of them will even tell us about their religious beliefs. But we need to find out what do they truly stand for and start voting for those. Are they truly righteous? Do they believe God's word? And to the best of our ability, I don't care what other politics they have. If they don't stand on what God stands on, I don't want them. And, and you know, I want to look at what do you think about euthanasia? What do you think about abortion? What do you think about honoring God? What do you think about integrity out there? Lord, we ask you to bless this time. Lord, teach us to humble ourselves. Teach us to seek you with all of our heart. Help us to pray and seek for revival. Help us to seek revival within ourselves and be fully changed and, and talking about you to others and that we will see great things come in your name. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to, get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you, and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.